This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. Loving Jesus, uh, thank you uh, that we have the privilege of being able to understand life through the open tomb, the difference that it makes for each one of us. Lord, as we talk about testing and tempting, uh, our prayers that your Holy Spirit would give to us not simply a head knowledge, but also give to us uh, a foundation to stand strong in our faith, even in those times when we are tempted. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Okay. All right. Testing and tempting. Anybody here ever not been tempted? Exactly. Yeah. Um, was it Oscar Wilde who, who said, I, I can withstand everything except temptation. So I'm pretty sure that was Oscar Wilde. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about testing and tempting. You know, there was talk a couple of years ago in the Roman Catholic circles that the Pope was going to remove a phrase from the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. He said Jesus would never have said that because God would never lead us into temptation. Why would we ask him not to when he doesn't? Well, I think it's a misunderstanding of the phrase and the intent that Jesus had. So we're going to talk about testing and tempting. That they are probably, in many cases, uh, two sides of the same coin. Make sense? Hopefully it will by the end. All right. So I've got a little video. It's about six minutes long, uh, and it talks about testing and it talks about tempting. And then maybe we can go through people like Adam and Eve and Abraham and Job and Jesus. Is everybody okay with that? Okay. Because if you're not, go do your own Bible study. All right. I qualify for pension, I can say these things. The story of the Bible begins with God creating a beautiful world and then sharing it with all of his creatures. And he appoints Adam and Eve to rule it on his behalf. And God gives them access to his wisdom and life, but then tells them that there's one tree they can't eat from because it will lead to death. So they have a choice about how to rule with God. This kind of feels like a test. Well, that's because it is a test. But isn't that kind of cruel for God to test them? Well, not all tests are bad. Let's say there's a king who chooses you to fulfill a royal task because he wants to know if you are trustworthy. Well, I guess that's a test, but really it's an opportunity to do something important and noble. Right, but then let's say there's a rebel who hates the king and you, and he tries to convince you that you would be better off not doing what the king asks. Well, the rebel is setting a trap. Right, so a test could be an opportunity or a trap. And the difference is whether the one testing you has your best interests in mind. I see. And both types of tests appear in the beginning of the Bible. God tells them to eat of the tree of life and not the forbidden tree. Yeah, this is God's test of loyalty. God wants to rule the world with humans as his partners, which means they will need to trust his wisdom over their own. But then a rebel comes and tests them to eat of that other tree. Right, the rebel seizes this opportunity and twists it. 
so he can lead the humans into exile and ultimately death. He turns the test into a trap. But after the humans fail, God promises that one day a human will come who will pass the test and defeat the snake. And as the story moves on, God gives a couple named Abraham and Sarah an opportunity to trust him by leaving their family behind to go to a new land where God will use them to restore his blessing to all people. So this is a test. And at first, things go well. But Abraham quickly fails. He lies to protect himself, and then he and Sarah scheme to get a son their own way by abusing one of their servants. Definitely not passing the test. But God doesn't give up on Abraham. He gives him one final opportunity, a test to prove his loyalty. God asks Abraham to go up onto a hill and offer his son as a sacrifice. I can't imagine a more intense test. And Abraham does it. But in the last moment, God stops him and provides a substitute animal in the place of his son. God then says he will fulfill his promise through Abraham's family because he passed this test. So Abraham passed this test, but he hasn't proven to be a fully trustworthy partner. We're still waiting for someone who could pass the ultimate test. Yeah, and as the family of Abraham grows and becomes a nation, God continues to test them. Like when the Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They have lots of opportunities to trust in God, to provide water or daily bread. But they instead blame God and even say that he trapped them in the desert to kill them. And so the rest of Israel's story in the Hebrew scriptures is pretty much the same. The Israelites don't trust in God and his promise. They're not loyal. And eventually the whole nation fails. So humans have an amazing opportunity to partner with God, but no one is really qualified. And so all of this brings us forward to Jesus. There's a story where Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. Ah, yes, the wilderness. And there he meets a sinister creature who tries to trap him. But Jesus trusts in God's wisdom. And he passes the test. Then later there's a story about Jesus going to pray with some friends, and God commissions him to go up to Jerusalem and to give up his life. And so he goes. And on the night of his arrest, Jesus took his friends and went to a garden. And he told them to pray, because tonight, he said, is the great test. And he prayed to God, please let this test pass from me, but not my desire, rather may your desire be done. In this garden, Jesus shows us what passing the test looks like. He trusted in God's wisdom. He loved others more than himself, and he confronted evil with good. Even though it cost him his life. Right. Jesus offered his own life as a sacrifice to cover for all of the failed tests of his people Israel and of all humanity. Jesus passed the ultimate test on behalf of us all. This is amazing, but... That doesn't mean everything is going to be great in our lives. I mean, let's be honest, we're going to face our own tests every day. Right. Jesus said every generation of his followers would have their own tests that will force them to trust God in radical new ways. And these tests can be difficult and often painful. But remember, a test from a good God is an opportunity. This is why James, a leader in the early Jesus movement, said that we should be grateful when we face tests and trials because they offer us a gift. It's an opportunity to surrender to God's wisdom and to become more like Jesus, the 
one who loved us and who passed the test on our behalf. Okay. What hit you? Anything new? Anything old? Anything semi-new? A little old. Tests are opportunities. Yeah, and, and I think sometimes when we look at tests, we, we look at them as obstacles. But they're not obstacles, they're opportunities, exactly. And, and they're created by God, right? What else? Surely. Yeah, tests, tests draw you closer to God because without him, we don't have the ability to get it done. And when you look at scriptures, uh, you find that the people who failed in the test were the ones who relied on their, their own uh, intelligence rather than the direction of God. Good point. What else? Sharon. Yeah, testing. You know, is it Peter that talks about that? You know, it's it's like uh, like gold that's refined in the refiner's fire. The impurities are taken out. It's made not only more pure but stronger, right? Yeah. What else? Well, I kept thinking of Romans eight, like the test is how God works to make all things good in a way, like because of the opportunities. Yeah. Come closer. Yeah. We don't always see that, do we? Not as not initially, but no, sometimes no. the crisis. Yeah, yeah, the crisis is the answer to the prayer a lot, most of the time, I think. It, it is, you know, and, and I don't want to give too much away, but in our Renew sermon series, you know, we're going to find out that renewal uh, comes sometimes by tearing things down in order to build things back up again. Yeah, sure. So Ukraine is going to be a lot stronger. So Ukraine is going to be a lot stronger. Oh. I am not Nostradamus, but, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's always about faith, isn't it? And the Ukrainians, uh, because they're part of the Eastern Orthodox, they celebrated Easter this past week. And I would imagine it was a much different Easter celebration. Many of them don't have a, a church home, let alone a home, and yet is this drawing them closer. Isn't it interesting, if you were to take a look at the United States, um, in some of our most deepest, darkest moments is when we become the strongest in our faith. Revolutionary War, Civil War. If you, if you um, uh, read Lincoln's second inaugural address, you would think it was a pastor that was speaking. Um, it, he, four different times in such a short address, he uh, brings scripture. So uh, uh, the depression, did you know this? That uh, the, um, the most generous period of the American Christian church was during the depression. Did you know that? People gave a greater percentage of their income during the depression than they did any other time. When I, when I was on my, my vicarage, my internship, there was a... Uh, uh, old retired pastor, Steve Persa, and Steve grew up in Milwaukee, 
And so we kind of hit it off a little bit. I'm 25, he's 75. And he, he was telling me my first churches, uh, he said, when I got out of the seminary, they, they didn't, all the churches were filled. No church needed a pastor. So I worked at a paint company in Milwaukee, and then I got a call, three churches in South Dakota. And he said it was a 1931, and he said they gave me $100. And so I tithed, and, and I gave $10. And so when they did the budget for the next year, they said, well, since you can live on $90, we're going to give you $90. So he said, I tithe, and I gave $9. And then they said the next year, since you can live on $81, we're going to give you $81. And he says, I can live off of it, but I don't think I can live off of it here anymore. And he talked to them about tithing. But isn't that amazing that the, the, the greatest time of uh, percentage offering was during the Depression? So yeah, testing uh, can draw us. Uh, closer to God, and it should draw us closer to God. And you mentioned Romans 8, 28, how God works things together for the good of those who love him. And the good is spiritual. It's not always temporal or material. It's always spiritual. Yeah. Kind of like uh, when um, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? Isn't that what a test is, kind of a witness? You know, a test can be a witness as well, and it should be a witness. You know, Chuck Colson, who was part of the Watergate break-in and cover-up, would probably tell you that his being arrested was such a wonderful blessing because he was able to um, concentrate on prison ministry. And they, he, he touched the lives of millions of people as he, as he instituted a prison ministry. Yeah. Testing gives us a better understanding of our own heart. Where is my heart? Because the, the difference between a, a successful passing grade on a test and a failing passing grade on a spiritual test is where is my heart? The people who fail the tests, their heart is turned toward themselves. We're going to talk about Abraham in a little bit, and we're going to see Abraham had a lot of tests, didn't he? Oh my goodness, there's a whole bunch of tests. Um, and it, it all depends, where, where is my focus? Where is my spiritual focus? Where is my heart inclined? Yeah. What are the thoughts? Mary. Yeah. You know, and Abraham had lots of tests and lots of opportunities to pass. <laughs> yeah, Moses too. Yeah, and God didn't turn his back on him when he failed. Right. Yeah, and, and isn't that the nice thing that God, if when you fail a test, God doesn't say, had your chance. Now you're done. But instead, he allows us to come to come back. This is what the whole repentance thing is about, isn't it? Re what is sin about? Sin is always about failing the test. There's always a test. There's always a test. I don't know, I don't know if you did this on your syllabus or not, Doc, but I always put in there, uh, the professor has the right to institute a quiz without prior warning. And they would get to that one and go, uh. 
you and I, we constantly live with a test. Constantly. There's always a test before us. We fail the majority of them. Do we not? We do. And to Mary's point, we got a God who says, ah, come on back. We've got more work for you to do. And we'll even take your failures and somehow, some way, we'll put them together for good. Uh, John. devil is constantly at us, constantly <laughs> at us, constantly at us, and provoking us to want to sin. Uh, when I was in my dad's confirmation class way back when, I remember him saying how in at least the Missouri Synod, if not all of uh, churchdom, if you didn't go to communion four times a year, you better uh, look inwardly and see what's going on. I've come to the understanding that we need God's grace constantly. And it would not be redundant to have communion every day. Exactly. Yeah. Someone, someone asked me, you know, we, when we do a communion service, it's Saturday night and then it's 7.30 and 9 o'clock and it's 10.35. And someone said, um, which service do you pick to take communion? <laughs> every one of them. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you're right, John. Uh, being in the Word, being in the sacrament, extremely important because we are constantly in a spiritual battle. Isn't this what Paul says? You know, we've got this war going on in the heavens, right? It's the powers of darkness and the powers of good. And you know what they're fighting over? You. That's what they're fighting over. And that's a frightening thing, but it's also an important thing to remember is that the devil, the devil wants us. So does Jesus. Yeah. Ooh, we're getting into some deep theology. That's good. You are theologians. What else we got? Anything? Everybody have a sheet? All right. Um, We'll start off with Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Please understand, work happened before the fall. I tell my confirmants that. You don't, you don't have to get a job because you're a sinner. You get a job because you're a human. God's one, God partners with you. All right. Uh, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but... Of the tree of the knowledge and good of evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Did God know that they were going to eat of it sooner or later? He did. God has foreknowledge. God knows what's going on. He's aware that they're going to eat from the fruit of the tree. So, the question that I hear so often from skeptics is, why is your God so cruel? How many of you moms, when you baked cookies, waved them under your children's face and said, can't eat it? You probably didn't do that. I do remember walking home and opening the door and the smell of Toll House cookies permeated. And I would say, yes, cookies. And my mother would say, Wait until after supper, yeah. 
I don't know if it was a test or a temptation, but it was always there. But mom never said, hey, look at me, I'm going to eat this cookie and you can't have it. Okay. I did that to my brothers, but my mother would never have imagined to do that to me. How do you answer someone and say, no, it's not that God was cruel, there's something else that you're missing. What is the something else? Bonnie. There you go. This is their opportunity to show God how much they love him and trust him. Did they know what die was? There's a new word for their vocabulary. When you eat it, you're going to die. They didn't know anything about death. All they knew was life. But why was the word die such a, a, a pronounced word? It's because God said, this is the problem that's going to happen. They trusted what God had to say. It was always by faith that human beings are connected to God. A lot of times we think it's only after the fall that we had to have a faith in Jesus. We always, even from the moment that God breathed into Adam the breath of life, it was always by faith that Adam had to live. He had to believe what the Lord had to say. He had, to, he had to trust that what God said was absolutely true. So every time Adam and Eve walked past the tree and they saw that it was pleasing to the eye and desirable to the palate and walked away and said, we shouldn't eat that, that was a form of worship. That was their worship. Every time you and I are faced with a temptation and we walk away from it, we honor God. That's, that's a form of worship. So it's not that God is, is cruel, it's that God's providing them an opportunity to live out their faith. Does that make sense? So every time they walk away, they're living out their faith. That's the purpose that it was serving both God and man. Man has the privilege of saying, God, I want to honor you, I believe you, I have faith in you, I trust in you, I don't need any proof, I'm just gonna walk by faith. And God turns around and says, you have just honored me. We heard it last week. Um, the Sunday after Easter is always, let's beat up Thomas Sunday. Um, you know, Jesus said, you know, do you believe because you've got proof? Blessed rather are those who haven't seen and yet believe. And this was the very beginning. This was the design at the very beginning. No proof that you're going to die, just faith in the word of God. And so this is a test, is it not? It's always a test for them. A test is God's use of something that would draw us closer to him. He might send the test intentionally or he might use something else as a test. So you mentioned the, the war in Ukraine. I'm, God may not have caused this gross, inhumane action, but he can take that 
and use it as a test for people on an Easter Sunday to have to worship somewhere in a war-torn community and say, our God is still our God. It might even draw them closer. So Adam and Eve have this opportunity to go through this test all the time. And this is not a tempt. God indeed tempts no one, says the epistle. God indeed tempts no one. God tests us. A test and a tempt differ in this way. A test is designed by God to draw us closer to him in faith. So a test is something that's designed by God to draw us closer to him in faith. Attempt is something designed by the devil to draw us away from God and destroy faith. Is a test like being disciplined? I think a test is like being disciplined. Yeah. How many of you were teachers? Where are my teachers? Raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. We all know that tests are designed to, to punish children and to make them feel horrible and uh, to destroy their self-esteem. Isn't that how they feel? And it's not. It's for you to demonstrate what you have learned. That's, re- that's all a test is. Demonstrate. And, and as instructors, we're pretty, we want kids to succeed. Right? Nobody wants to go to the department head and say, hey, I had 33 kids this year and 32 of them flunked. Nobody wants that, right? We want them to learn, we want them to grow, we want them to succeed. This is the idea of test for, uh, for the Lord, is to be strong in faith, right? So in, in chapter 3 of Genesis, um, I got that printed for you. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Did he ever say they couldn't touch it? Have you ever found that? God never said you can't touch it. Why do you think Eve added that? She was trying to depend on herself for protection. She added that in there to try to convince herself that she shouldn't do it. Now she's relying on her own word. It's almost like the Pharisees who added things to the Ten Commandments so that they could come out stronger. So what happens? I think the devil knows he's got her on the ropes. But the serpent said to the woman, Oh, you're not going to die? God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. You'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. Did he lie? He deceived because it was true. The lie was you're not going to die. That was definitely a lie. The deception is, you know what? You'll be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. Did they end up knowing the difference between good and evil? Yes. Was that a good thing? No, because they became evil. (laughs) They are the evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasing 
you know, a delight to the eye. It was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate it and gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate and, and the wheels fell off of the wagon. The devil turned a test into a tempt. The test from God was stay away from it and, and stay strong in faith and trust me. The tempt was by the devil, make it about you. Why is this always about God? This should be about you. Here's the deal. God knows you're going to be like him. He doesn't want that. You've got to start standing up for yourself. God's a liar because you're not going to die. And let me tell you the truth. You'll be just like him in this, that you'll know good and evil. Who doesn't want to be like God? So the test, which was pure and designed to draw them closer to God, the devil takes... And, and I've mentioned this before, uh, uh, God's truth is like a multifaceted diamond. And if you just tilt it just a little, the, the light is refracted differently. So he just takes the truth and just gives it a little touch. And they fall into sin. Because a test is all about honoring God, the tempt is all about honoring me. And from this point on, sin now is love turned inward. We were designed to be outward in our love, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, to love your neighbor like yourself. And now we, we love ourselves with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And there's no way I'm loving my neighbor like myself. Because life now is all about me. So we have to be careful because the devil is trying to take the tests of God and turning them into the tempts of his handiwork. That's the challenge. So the devil approaches the man and woman, deceiving them, encouraging them to eat the forbidden fruit. And why is this attempt and not a test? It's a tempt because it's designed us to draw us away from God. Again, tests draw us toward God, tempts draw us farther away from God. That's exactly what the devil's trying to do. So what was the great temptation for our first parents? What was the big temptation in this? Eating the forbidden fruit? I get to be like God. That's it. This is why the first commandment is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. And it's not just about having graven images. It's about us. I have become my own God. Every, Luther would say, every, every time we break one of the Ten Commandments, we're always breaking the first. If God says, don't steal, and, and I say, well, I'm going to cheat on my taxes because I deserve the money more than the government, which, if anybody's listening to this recording, I did not cheat on my taxes. And I can tell you, if you want to look at them, that's fine. Um, but that, thou shalt not steal, the reason I was stealing is because it's all about me. I come first, I come foremost. All right. Oh, my goodness. I'm preaching again. Sad. Um, t -t 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 -t. 
Let's look at Job. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Let me stop there for a second. Why do you think the devil was going to and fro, up and down? What's he doing? He, he's not a surveyor. He's looking exactly, John. I'm looking at all the people that I can devour and I'm doing a good job, says Satan. And the Lord says to him, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Notice he's blameless and upright. He's not perfect. Blameless is not the same as perfect. What we get from this is he's repentant. Oh, and Satan in verse 9 says, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You bless the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. In other words, well, of course he's going to honor you. Look how nice you made life for him. Why wouldn't he honor you? And then he adds in verse 11, but stretch out your hand and touch all he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand only against him. Do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So my bullet point there, Satan has noticed that Job turns from evil and feels he only does so because God has been so good and gracious to him with many earthly blessings. Satan believes that a shocking removal of all material blessings will move Job to curse God. Is this a test or attempt? I agree with you, Gail. I think it's both. I think the devil obviously says, well, let's, let's tempt this guy. See what happens. And you know what God says? Go ahead and test him. See how it works. How did Job do? I think he did okay. Did he waver a little bit here and there? Oh, I think so. You know, he started to question God, and then, <laughs> and then God said, put on your big boy pants, here it comes. Lace up your boots, because I'm going to ask you, where were you when I set the foundation of the earth, right? But he passes the test. Um, go down to... Well, let, let me do this. Let me go over here. Adam and Eve, the temptation that's placed before Adam and Eve is to be like God, right? So this is, this is the temptation of all temptations. The temptation is to be like God. And, and the idea is to call the shots. Abraham. It's a test. God comes to Abraham and says, you have to leave your father and your father's family. You have to leave your land and your father's gods. And I'm going to make you into a nation. Abraham could have said, I'm 75. I got a nice condo. I'm the head of the condo association. Uh, I, got the, I got the kids living around me here, my friends. And 
I, I just don't want to do that. Were there other tests that Abraham had to face? Yeah. Abraham, I'm going to make you in a great nation. You're going to have child and you're going to have a great nation. And they waited and waited and waited. And then finally, Sarah came up with a plan. What was the plan? Why don't you take my handmaiden, Hagar, and you sleep with her and have a child? And he said, seriously? <laughs> and he said, well, if I have to, I will. Uh, and God provided this as a test. Trust me. And he didn't say it once. He said it a couple times. You are going to be the father of a great nation. Have you ever had a situation where you were tempted to say, maybe God's waiting for me to do something? I think this is where Abraham and Sarah were. I don't think Sarah was saying, ah, yeah, you know, God forgot us or God doesn't. I think Sarah's saying, maybe God's expecting us to like be proactive. Isn't it kind of like a series of tests? Oh, it just. Start here and see what happens and then keep leaving. He doesn't know where he's going. Yeah, Abraham's whole life is a series. Yeah, yeah. And oh, by the way, you're going to have to put up with your failure because Ishmael, eh, he's going to create some challenges in the next coming year or a few millennials. He wouldn't have done, he wouldn't have done so well with Isaac then if he hadn't gone through these right. tests. Right, yeah. Yeah, and so God uses our failures, right, to put us through. Oh. In faith or wait in faith. I know. Yeah, I was thinking about that joke you tell, you know, like the guy in the room. Yeah. Right, sends the helicopter, sends the boat, and says, why, God, didn't you help me? Well, <laughs> I sent you, right? right? So how, do you, how do you know? <laughs> yeah, I think, that, I think that's uh, true, you know, and I'm not going to excuse Judas, but there are some people who think that Judas was trying to paint Jesus into a corner so that he could use his power to finally set up an earthly kingdom. How do you know when to be proactive <laughs> or just react to what God is doing? That's a deep question, is it not? Some of, some of these are easy, you know, don't eat from the forbidden fruit. Okay, I get that one, but I can sympathize with Abraham and Sarah. I can see, I can see Sarah saying, hey, dude, you ain't getting any younger. And what happens? If we don't do something and God was going to use this nation to bring the Messiah. Wow. And I, I agree with you. I find that's, that's, so let's, let's wander there for a while. How do you decide what is the route to go? He said, somehow he said the best decision, the best choice is the one you don't have to talk yourself into. Isn't it? The best choice is the one you don't have to talk yourself into. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I like that. I'm going to embroider that on a pillow. Yeah, the, the, the best ones, the easiest ones are the ones that are extremely obvious. 
did they inquire of God? Abraham and Sarah as to their plan. And here you got a time when God's chatting with them, right? We don't have that privilege. But if Abraham and Sarah would have had this little prayer life and said, Lord, we got a plan. Jesus did this, didn't he? Garden of Gethsemane. How about plan B? What do you think? And, and then he says, but I, I do know plan A is necessary. What happens if Abraham and Sarah would have inquired of the Lord? We can inquire of the Lord. I think, it's a, I think it's about praying, right? I think it's about being in the Word. I think it's about ch chatting with fellow Christians that'll tell us what we need to hear and not what we want to hear. I think wise people have many counselors. Yeah. That's the tough part, isn't it? Yeah. So the, the temptations that Abraham and, and obviously Sarah face are a little different than the Adam and Eve because the Adam and Eve one was either eat it or don't eat it. The Abraham one was this whole journey of, you know, as you said, Bill, there's how many tests are in this journey? It's one continuous. The Job test is, wow, I'm going to get wiped out. Hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you treasures like you've never seen before, all kinds of blessings. Hey, Job, we're going to wipe yours out. There is a temptation in both prosperity and adversity. There's a test in both prosperity and adversity. So when you get into Jesus' day in the first century, as Jesus in John 9 is walking along and they find this guy who's been blind from birth, there's the natural question, who sinned, this guy or his parents, that he's born blind? The thought was, any time you fell into adversity, it was the hand of God that was punishing you for some specific sin. I'm not sure about your life, if that was true, I'd be living in constant adversity. So Abraham, his great test is the blessings that are promised. Job's great challenge is the blessings that have been removed. It's a big difference. Oh. Yeah. And all those losses, it was also the people around him. Oh. Yeah. 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 With friends like that. Who needs enemies? Right? And then you got his wife. Well, there's a real dilly. Right? Why don't you just curse God and die? Then I can get the hospital bed out of the family room. That's like, holy cow. Oh, man, I can only see Job saying, I wiped out my whole family except. <laughs> I got a good joke on that, but I'm not going to tell it. Because <laughs> my wife would find out. When you get to the Jesus temptation... 
the Jesus temptation is kind of interesting because it's a meld between Abraham and Job. Because Jesus, who has everything, has set it aside to come into a sin-stained world and in the Garden of Gethsemane realizes there's still one more step to go down. Suffering and death. But that's going to create eternal blessings for everybody. The devil's continuous temptation for Jesus was this. You can still be a king, but you don't have to suffer. You can still be a king, you don't have to set it aside. Just don't go to the cross. And that temptation, if it was carried out, would have meant that you and I would be living in hell forever So Jesus is, is in the midst of the test and the tempt of, do I think only about myself? And that's what every single one of these is all about. The one thing they all have in common is, it's about me. I want to be like God. I should make the plans. The temptation here was, I should give up on God. And for Jesus, I should start thinking about myself and let the rest of the world literally go to hell. I find in the scriptures, there's far more episodes of tests that are turned into tempts than just straight temptation. It's usually about the devil taking a test and trying to abuse it and turn it into attempt to move our focus from honoring and serving Christ to simply thinking about ourselves. Bonnie. Yeah. And how remarkable that is. Yeah, that he considered himself nothing by worldly standards, but took the form of a servant, suffered death, even death on a cross. The Old Testament says, those who hang on the tree are cursed. So he took our curse for us. Yeah. What a temptation just to say, I didn't do anything wrong. Very bottom of that page, James 1.13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So why do we pray, hey God, don't lead me into temptation. If he doesn't do it, why would you ask for that? I mean, Dennis, don't take me we're, 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 don't take me to the drug house. And Dennis would say, I never really had any plans to do that. I would never do that to you. So why do we ask God not to do something that we already know he doesn't do? This was the hang-up in the conversation with Pope Francis. Yeah. Was that a stretch or was that a... Oh, that was a hand. 
Okay. Summarizes that for us that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our flesh may not deceive us nor seduce us into misbelief, despair, or other great shame and vice. Your father would be so proud. <laughs> My goodness. I'm going to call your brothers and tell them. I'm going to call those preacher boys and tell them how good you, you did on that. Yeah, our prayer is for God's protection. It's okay, God, for you to test me. That's fine. But I know the devil's right there to turn that into a tempt. I need you to put the hedge around me, as Satan said about Job. I just need you to put that hedge around me. That's what I need. So on the back page, of which we have five minutes and 42 seconds, I think, where do these temptations originate? It's always important to know where, where an evil originates, right? And it's the unholy trinity. Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3. And when you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So I kind of put in bold those, those three evils. It's the devil, the world, and my sinful nature, right? Here's what Luther says. Therefore, we see here what an awful thing it is when the devil begins to tempt a man. One lapse involves another lapse, and an apparently slight wrong brings about a prodigious lapse. It was something serious to turn away from God and from his word and to lend her ears to Satan. But what is something far more serious now happens that Eve agrees with Satan when he charges God with lying and, as it were, strikes God in the face with his fists. Let these events be a warning for us that we may learn what man is. For if this happened when nature was perfect, what do we think will happen to us now? Wow. So I think it was John who mentioned that Bible passage, you know, the devil's prowling around looking for someone to devour. And he's doing it among the Christian church. He's doing that in Christian homes. We also have to be careful of the world. Culture has always been a problem for Christians. Whether it should be whether, it is materialism, sensuality, instant gratification. Unbiblical theologies also cause temptation. As an example, many teach that one must work his way to heaven. So we live in and among an imperfect people. We are included in that. So we have to be careful if we listen to the world and the world says uh, whatever, <laughs> that you got to look out for yourself, your own urges, your own feelings, uh, live by that. Or if we've got a theology that tells us something that's opposed to the word of God. We are in the world, says Jesus, but we should not be of the world. There's a big difference. We're in the world. We're not of the world. And then, well, you got to look out for yourself. 
Sinful pride dwells within us, causing us to place ourselves at the center of existence. We were created to love the Lord and the people around us, but sin is love turned inward. We have to monitor ourselves. How many of you ever played a sport where you had a coach that had to cure you of some evil in your approach to the sport? I was struggling at the plate until my coach said, you have a hitch. As the pitch is coming, you're, you're dropping your shoulder. There you go. Constantly, every time I was at bat, guess what I had to keep saying to myself? Shoulder up, shoulder up, shoulder up, bat still, shoulder up, bat still. It didn't really do much for me, obviously, but, but it, three. and then it was strike three. Yeah, I didn't even see the first two. Is that the toughest thing in coaching? Isn't it? My goodness. It's the toughest thing in carrying out the instruction, right? And so therefore, you spend hours in the batting cage. And someone stands behind you and says, you did it again. <laughs> How easy is it for us to move out of those habitual sins? Isn't that difficult? So for uh, Carl Reisky and I do that Friday. Uh, for the Friday um, questions, someone asked the question, but what happens if we keep repeating our sins? We have these signature sins and we keep repeating because the temptation's always there and these are the ones we don't even recognize. And the answer is 12.05 on Friday. I'm trying to raise viewership. So how do you overcome temptation? I think there's two words that I have here. One is the word and the other is praying. And they're both quotes from Luther. Satan is by nature such a wicked and poisonous spirit that he cannot tolerate anything that's good. It pains him that even an apple, a cherry, and the like grow. It causes him pain and grief that a single healthy person should live upon the earth. And if God would not restrain him, he would hurl everything together in ruin. But to nothing is he more bitter enemy than the dear word, because while he can conceal himself under all creatures, the word is the only agency that can disclose him and reveal to everyone how black he is. Isn't that amazing? You have to be in the word because the word reveals truth. He also writes, no one may be exempt from temptation, but we can certainly defend ourselves and relieve all temptations by praying for and imploring the help of God. In the book on the old fathers of the church, we read that a young brother wanted to be rid of his evil thoughts. The old father said, dear brother, you cannot prevent the birds from flying in the air over your head, but you can certainly prevent them from building a nest in your hair. Likewise, as St. Augustine says, we cannot prevent offenses and temptations from coming upon us, but by prayer and the invocation of divine assistance, we may certainly defend ourselves and keep them from overcoming us. 
The devil, the world, and our sinful nature are always there. Always. But Christ is always there too. So, Any concluding thoughts? Bill. of these children. I mean, does it create agony for him such that Satan would want to stick the needle in and say, well, hurt a little more then? Yeah, good question. Does God feel pain over the unbelief of, of his creatures on earth? You know, it's, it's really challenging for us to put human emotion on an eternal God. And in a sense, I will say, yes, it pains God. Um, but I think the comfort is that he so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave everybody this opportunity to know, to believe, to live. Yeah. You know, I, I think when we get into heaven too, let's equate it with us. You know, when you get to heaven, is it like, oh, are we going to like mourn eternally for those friends that we had that refused him? And the answer is going to be, no, we're going to live in Complete peaceful joy. Yeah. Dan. I just want to clarify one thing on the, the renewed calls. And by haste not to take any of pastor's time. If you got oh, the calls are going to be made between May 2nd and May 20, 21st, prior to the commitment time. And we're anticipating, if we get enough callers, maybe 20, 25 calls a person. We're anticipating it's only going to take about two hours of time in that whole time frame. So it's not a large and with the uh, scripts we're going to have. And if you're like me, it's, it's not always easy to make those calls. And you kind of get, get a frame of mind. And so you got to just get down and you know, go through a whole bunch of them. And I learned a new, new term when we had our meeting the other day. They said that these marketing people, when they sit down and make the calls, they say you smile and dial. You got to <laughs> get in that frame of mind and then you just go through it. And it, it does go easy, but I don't want to get going. Smile and dial. And it's not always going to be receptive. I smiled and dialed for a lot of prom dates. <laughs> and then I cried and died. So, Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day, and God bless.